You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association. OEA Grow is by members for members. In season four, members discuss back-to-school issues and ideas with Kayla Potter. Hello and welcome. I am Kayla Potter and today I am joined by Rachel Shia. In this episode, we will be discussing how to establish a classroom community. Rachel, can you introduce yourself and tell us about what you do? Yes. Hi everyone, I'm Rachel Shia. I use she, her pronouns. Um, This is my 13th year in education. Currently, I am a district mentor and coach, which means I am mentoring new teachers to our district. And previously, I was a fourth grade teacher. Wonderful. Those uh, new educators are really lucky to have you as a mentor, especially since a lot of them did their student teaching or were in and out of that COVID year. They're so lucky to have you as a mentor because you're just really amazing. Um, So to get on into it, so what does it mean to establish a classroom community and why is that important? Um, Well, I want to preface it with like, I'm going to give lots of credit to other educators I've learned from. So shout out to Cornelius Minor, Liz Kleinrock, Britt Hawthorne. These are just many, one of the many, a few of the many educators I've um, learned a lot from. But I'm thinking about just classroom community is about belonging. And that's the most important part to me is that students come to school, come to a classroom and know that they belong in a classroom. Um, And to know that they can express different opinions and perspectives and know that everyone's in class is going to listen to them and they might disagree, but we're going to disagree respectfully um, and still have each other's back at the end of the day. What are some things that educators can do to help establish a classroom community? What I didn't mention earlier is thinking about classroom community and belonging is that teachers need to recognize that when we build a classroom community, there is a sense of shared power. I know that's sometimes really hard for teachers to think about, but in order to have a true classroom community, um, we need to recognize that students need to have their voice in establishing a community and in the classroom at all times. So there's like so many ways to establish classroom community. So what I give you today is just some things that I like to do in my classroom um, and suggested new teachers, but class meetings, um, taking the time every morning to have a class meeting, doing something silly to start with, to get everyone like adjusted into the classroom, um, getting some laughs in the day, starting the day with joy, right? Um, one of my favorite things is to ask like, would you rather questions? And I did this over Zoom too. Um, one of my favorite ones was, would you rather have a pet dragon or a robot? And students went off on it. Um, and there's just like so many different debates on why a pet dragon was better or a pet robot. Um, who was going to upgrade their robot to steal the other person's dragon. It was great. <laughs> um, so just Your personalities like, really come out at that yeah, time, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but having those kind of like early morning, like grounding classroom meetings um, where you're not just talking about schedule, but you're also getting to know each other's personalities. But I also use class meetings in a different way where we talk about like establishing um, classroom norms or agreements and using read alouds to help us. Um, if there's a controversial statement in our classroom and somebody says something unkind, we're going to sit down and we're going to have a community meeting and discuss it. Um, 
of course I'll still have the one-on-one meetings with students but like if it's said out loud in class I want to stop class and have a discussion about it um other ways I build communities to think about well I mentioned read alouds I love picture books um and picture books are for everyone so yes not just uh, early primary right. not just primary uh, and they're just so complex and you can read like bits and pieces and come back to it and have shared themes and talk about how like this character can lead to a class norm so just all the actions that the character does leads to a class norm um but individually to make students feel welcome and for them to get to know me i want to spend some time out at recess um establishing some lunch times with them which also helps me because elementary teachers were on the go all the time i almost never ate lunch unless i actually sat down and scheduled lunch time with students and they forced me to eat because they were like we want to talk to you and if you're moving around we can't talk to you so which is super nice because then i realized like i should be eating during my lunch time as well um, yeah and what a special time for those kids too And so you get to see students and have conversations with them that's not just about content and, like, academics. Um, You get to hear about their soccer games, um, you know, different games that they're playing. And then the other thing I really, really like to do, especially for students who are not as open to just, like, sharing verbally or orally, is to write letters to them. Um, And I don't expect every student to write back a letter to me, but I start the year with a letter. and so that way they have a choice. They can write back to me. They can ask me all silly questions and I write back to them. So, and I don't do it every week because really um, I've, my class sizes have been like 30 plus. So it takes a while, but it's so worth it. Um, so Yeah. And it, but it makes the kids feel a little bit more connected to you as well. And a little uh, safer in the classroom, know what to expect and who you are. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I think for families, like building class communities, not just in our classroom, but for families, like making sure that you have open communication with them, making sure that your first contact with them is a positive one. I get to know you. Um, I try to every week give like a small blurb as a preview to what's happening in our classroom. And I want to make invite families in. So if they want to share something, if there is a um, presentation happening. I want families to be there if they can. Um, sometimes I have families who they tell me that they've been traveling and they wanted to bring in some things to show and their student wants to share. And I'm like, great, come on in. Um, one year, because of the Olympics being held in South Korea, there was a family who had traveled there and lived there for a little bit of time. They came in and shared about their experience and they brought kimchi into the room. And so all the students got to try kimchi. It was super fun. Um, so those kind of experiences help like families just kind of stay connected. And I think, especially for upper grades, a lot of times um, there's this feeling of like, maybe families are, might be too busy or they have younger siblings to take care of. But I think um, kind of letting go of those assumptions for our families and making sure that we try to include them every chance we get. Yeah, so you find that having that connection with families helps build and bolster your classroom community itself? Absolutely. I think um, then um, there's just like this sense of connection that like school and families are connected. And so when, if there's something I need to call home for, it's a teamwork kind of deal, not just like me again. I don't want 
I don't want it ever to be like a me against family. Yeah, you want to work together with them. Absolutely. And I bet the kids really enjoy having their families be able to come in and share things that they're doing at home too. Yeah, super fun. (laughs) Awesome. Um, So when you go into a classroom, how do you know what a class community looks like? What are the things that you're looking for? How do you know it's there? That's a good question. Um, when I'm walking in, especially now in my like role, um, I'm thinking about if there's a set of shared agreements or norms in the classroom, um, routines, do students know what the routines are, but like have those routines been co-created? Um, I'm thinking about the way students are responding to each other. Um, again, like we're not always going to agree on everything. So how are students responding if they disagree with someone? Are they calmly like, well, I, I disagree, or I think this way, you know, and they're not shouting at each other. Um, I'm thinking about just the way the classroom flows and feels. Um, there's just the sense that the teacher has already established that there's a shared power in the classroom. Okay, like we're not... Um, students aren't feeling like they can't do something in their classroom because they're unclear of the rules or the norms or the agreements. So a class community, we are obviously going to be developing that in the beginning of the year and spending a lot of time getting to know each our students, having our students get to know each other, their peers. Um, but it's also important to continue that throughout the year. Uh, how do you support and grow your class community over the course of a year? Absolutely. I think um, students grow throughout the year, right? Like we can take pictures of students at the beginning year and we all do the identity activities and you can see the physical growth, right? Especially fourth graders, I feel like by the end of the year, you grew, you're all taller. Or at least the fourth graders like to do, um, they like to mark how tall they've grown because I'm pretty short. So they're always like, I grew taller than you. (laughs) Um, Thanks. But with that, like, they obviously are also growing up socially, emotionally. So um, always revisiting those classroom agreements, uh, the ones that we started in the beginning of the year, um, especially at those big break points of like, in January, we come back from winter break. Let's revisit these norms. Let's visit these agreements. Do we still agree on them? What do we need to change? Um, Looks like we should probably adjust this. If I find that there's like routines that we're lagging on, like why are we not able to, for example, grab all of our things and pack up in like a certain order or like, why can't we get it done by the time the bell rings? I'm going to check in with students and be like, okay, what do we need to change on this routine? Um, What's happening here? What are you stressed out about? Why is it that we can't get ourselves out the door on time, which is totally always usually my fault I'm always running like to the last minute um, <laughs> I'm right there with you <laughs> right? but I think like to maintain and grow community is just being willing to be flexible and change like, like, students are changing all the time you're growing all the time so giving that time to reflect and say like okay this isn't working for us anymore how are we going to change it how are we going to work this um in the beginning year a lot of times I have once we establish our agreements I send it home to families to read and so that they know what's going on in class. But if we do any changes, that's going home again. And I like to play it up to fourth graders to be like, 
actually, this isn't homework. Like, I'm not going to give you homework, right? We don't do that. But I'm giving your family's homework. And that usually <laughs> gives, like, a really good turn up. Because they're like, yeah, my family's read it. I told them they had homework. Um, which is a big deal for them. But, I mean, I don't usually give homework anyway. So. I love that your agreements that you set at the beginning of the year aren't set in stone. And they can always be revisited or... Um, reworded in order to fit your kids where they're at in that place in time, especially after those big breaks when, you know, we've gotten into our groove and now we can kind of resetting a little bit. And so that's a great time to do it. I've never thought of doing that. So I'm going to lock that one away (laughs) for later. Uh, And then, you know, over the course of a year, things will happen that will harm your class community. I know you already discussed how you um, teach your students how to disagree with each other. Um, When harm does happen in your community, how do you work to repair it? I rely a lot on picture books. Um, I know that that, like, as kind of like my first line, I think giving us some time as a community to say, like, we're not going to pinpoint a certain student in our class or, you know, sometimes it's me. Like, I have to be really honest. Like, sometimes it's me that has to do the repair because I may have said something that's not okay to a student or use a tone that will hurt them. So um, kind of pulling back and stepping back and you doing a picture book helps kind of, like, reframe the issue again. Um in a different line so that we're talking about two different characters or three different characters. And then I mean, deep dive into like, okay, so this happened in our class. Like, what are we going to do next? How are we going to fix this? Like, what are some ideas? And I might ask that we first do a quick write, like students are writing on their own first before we talk out loud, just to give them some time to like reprocess and think about like, okay, I still feel really strong emotions about this. Um, and then give them time to share out loud. And sometimes it depends on my class, but I might ask for just students to call out and share and they popcorn off of each other. Or um, I'm, if there's certain things that I feel like I want everyone's opinion on, then I will go in a circle. And students always have the right to pass. That is one of our agreements like we talk about. What does it mean of the right to pass? Um, and it just kind of worked. And, we also have usually have an agreement where it's like, this might not be finished in one day. This might be something that we're working on as a class. So we're going to come back to it. Um, but we're going to pin this for the day and we'll come back. But um, it, it really is being vulnerable in a sense of just like letting students know that everyone's human and reminding them. Um, like we all made mistakes so how are we going to repair this and depending on like what kind of harm is done I may have also talked to students individually uh, and then always keeping yeah. families in the loop so it might have happened on that day after school I might have written a quick note to say hey families this happened we're going to talk about it tomorrow in class I need a few a few minutes to kind of, or you know some time to think about how I'm going to go about this and then right after that conversation with the class and that class meeting I'll send another note to families and say, hey, this is our conversation, the gist of it. Please talk to your child about X, Y, and Z. Um, So there there were a couple of things that came out of that for me. One was I really appreciate that you're modeling to students how to repair when you do something. 
it's how often as a kid, do you remember like an adult saying something to you in a way that was a little bit too harsh and you were just kind of written off for and your feelings were pushed aside. But, you know, it's really important for especially educators, I think, to model how to do those repairs and how to apologize with grace and like owning what happened. Um, And then also teaching students to accept non-closure because things aren't going to be bowed off at the end of the day with some of the things that come up in our classroom. And for them to know that and anticipate that, I think is really helpful. I would say like, absolutely. But also it is hard, right? It is really challenging for some of our students to be like, what do you mean we're not done with this conversation? Or I want to talk about it some more. And it's like, we can't at this moment, like, it might be that we're, we literally can't because the bell's about to ring or we're going to go to specials. Or um, I know we've been talking about this for half an hour, but even it's too long. So we do need to take a break. Um, And yeah, going back to like, I think students need to see that educators are human too. Like how many times do we think about when we were kids, like, oh, my teacher goes to the grocery store or like my teacher does this. So like, (laughs) I want to change that. Like, like, we're humans, we make mistakes. Um, And again, that goes back to shared power. Like, I recognize I make a mistake. I need to own up to it. Um, I'm not the one who knows everything. So. Yeah, it's really important and a really good lesson for them to learn too. I know that um, equity and inclusion is important to you. How do you establish that within your class culture and your class community? I start with really looking at students' identities, right? We start beginning year, and I would say, like, my first six weeks is really just about getting to know each other, establishing our classroom. Again, with class meetings, with games, with uh, read-alouds, the doing some activities that have students express who they are um, to really, really be able to get into the nitty-gritty, like, critical conversations that I want to have with students. Um, So giving them some time to really kind of dig into who they are, doing the Who I Am poems, um, doing some exploration around, like, what I use. Well, I use myself a lot, right? Like, I'm a teacher of color. I identify as Asian American. So I use myself a lot as kind of, like, an example um, because I have had students, especially in the past couple years with pandemic, say things like, well, Chinese people are to blame for COVID. So those kind of conversations happen, or statements happen, mm-hmm. and they need to pause and say, all right, we're going to have a conversation about this right now. Um, and because I established trust in the classroom, students know they're not in trouble. They just, I might say just something to lines of, I think you forgot I'm Chinese, right? And they're like, we did, we forgot. Okay, so like, let's unpack your statement. Like, what does your statement mean? And like, how is this harmful to people? But um, giving that grace, um, as I talk about, like, e- like equity and inclusion is infused in every single lesson I do in classroom, in the classroom. Um, so it really is about, in a sense, like the reactions that we have as educators when students say things, like statements that are hurtful. And I think that might be, like, the best way to put into the, without being able to show, like, charts or anything right now, right? Because this is a recording of, like, how I can infuse equity into a class community. But it's the idea of just, like, 
How are we reacting to students, um, giving students a chance to explain their thinking, right, instead of shutting them down right away? Um, mm-hmm. Making sure that everyone gets heard about it, right? So again, establishing that not, of course, students are going to react right away. They might be like, oh my gosh, you forgot. And you, I can't believe you said that. But like tampering those kind of reactions first so that you can hear everyone. Um, yeah. Do you use, um, when those things come up, do you use your class meeting structure as a way to structure those conversations as well? Absolutely. Or um, I might write down the statement um, on a piece of chart paper. Just not because I'm calling out the student, but I want to, to be there to just show students like, okay, like, let's really dive in and unpack the whole thing and I'm going to take notes on it. Um, if it's really a statement that I don't know what to do with, then I might write it down and be like, oh, I'm curious about why you said that. But at this moment, like, can we come back to it tomorrow? Um, because I need extra time to think about it again. Yeah, I think that's part of the where I get like real caught up when something happens, I want to do it right then. But in order to really um, digest it and get the most out of learning out of that interaction, like I need some time to step back and think about how to best go about doing that. I think coming back to it. Put a pin in it. Yeah, put a pin to it. I'm uh, borrowing like from a different professor who always said like put a pin in it. I think it was for number talks too. Yep, yeah, number talks. Yeah. <laughs> we did that training together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Rachel, for sharing all of that with us. Um, you're an incredible resource thank for you. us here at OEA and in Bethel. Um, is there anything you'd like else you'd like to share with listeners before we go? Um, I don't know. No, I don't think so. I mean, um, I do have a video out that might give them an insight into like class community, but I do a read aloud with students about it. Um, But otherwise, yeah. (laughs) And you're also published in a book now. That's right. Um, If if folks want to read more about equity in the classroom, um, they could also purchase and that book and read your chapter as well as some um other wonderful folks have written it yeah, too so. I, i'm still adjusting to that <laughs> but yes the book is called i thought i'd plug that for you, <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's called equity in the classroom i read about instructional equity so you know i mean kudos to our district too because i used our district's like instructional equity framework Okay, well, thank you, Rachel, for meeting with me. And until next time, OEA, goodbye. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.